Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Content Experience Show podcast. This is Anna Harak from Convince and Convert. Now, my favorite co-host, Randy Frisch from Uberflip, won't be joining us today, but that's okay because we still have an amazing show for you. Now, our guest today is actually somebody we've been trying to have on the show for a long time. We actually have the amazing Jonathan Crossfield. He talks a lot about being the editor for Content Marketing Institute's Chief Content Officer magazine, and we also get into a whole bunch of word nerd conversations, um, including our stance on the ever-controversial Oxford comma. So to hear what we have to say about it, though, you're going to have to stick around to the end. In the meantime, though, you should definitely listen because there are just a ton of amazing takeaways that Jonathan provides, such as the entire process that went into relaunching Chief Content Officer from being a printed publication to an online-only presence, plus how editors, writers, and proofreaders are actually three completely separate jobs, but why each one of them should have a spot on your team. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Jonathan in and hear what he has to say. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you because this has been months literally in the making. Actually, like <laughs> almost like actually. a year in the making. I mean, pro- practically coming up on a year. That's thank an you. Yes, that, uh, I think you first invited me uh, when we met at Content Marketing World. So yes, it would yes. be. So um, thank you for, for inviting me then and thank you for remembering me now. <laughs> It's, you know, we have to explain a little bit beforehand, maybe. So, Jonathan, you and I met at Content Marketing World last year. And it's funny because the tables are turned now because then you were interviewing me and now I get to interview you. And there's so many topics I'm so excited to dig into. But before we do, actually, would you mind just telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, um, as you just said, I first interviewed you at Content Marketing World in my capacity as the editor of CCO Magazine, which is the uh, magazine published by the Content Marketing Institute. Um, so, and I took over that role just over a year ago uh, from the previous editor, but I'd previously been writing for the magazine since the very first issue. Oh, I didn't know that. But far too long ago for the me to uh, remember. The very first one. Yeah, which I think was 2010, or I think it actually came out in 2011, but yeah. So wow. it's coming up for, uh, yeah, uh, nearly a decade. Um, so that was one of the reasons why when Claire, the previous editor, moved on, she put me forward as the editor. Um, and that's been a learning experience. Other than that, <laughs> obviously you don't just start out as a editor of a magazine. Prior to that, I've been a um, content marketing consultant and writer long before I even knew what content marketing was, which I think is how a lot of it starts. Uh, We're just doing the company blogs and the other stuff that we just do as marketing. And then we hear this thing. It's like, actually, what you're doing is this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or just driven by pure rage of like, that's not how you do it. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, those um, days. So I got into the industry in 2007 after I was made redundant from a previous career. Uh, and because I trained as a journalist, I trained as a writer um, decades ago. Uh, it it's, uh, was, that was my opportunity to get back in and actually do something with words again instead of spreadsheets. Uh, and uh, it was just the right time in 2007, 2008, when blogging is taking off and social media is taking off. And it was just that explosion. And of course, a couple of years later, I hear about Joe and the CMI. Uh, and uh, here we are. Nice. So now, so I'm, now I'm freelance consultant here in Australia. That's it. By the way, you also, I think, I'm pretty sure you get the award for guest the furthest distance away. I mean, we are separated by oh, like 16 hours. We're, there's a 16 hour difference right now. It's morning your time, afternoon my time, but then even also distance too. So thank, thank God for telecommunications. Oh, um, yes. I mean, it's amazing. It makes life better. But so you have been with CCO from literally the beginning. Yes. So you've seen it grow and evolve and change. And now from what I've understand, you've given me a bit of a sneak preview. There are some bigger evolutions and changes happening as well. Yes. Well, um, as uh, the second half of last year, uh, we took the decision to relaunch the magazine um, and uh, go fully digital. Uh, for various reasons, but one of the big ones for me as the editor, because uh, I'm focused, I, I couldn't care less about the uh, that the company issues or de <laughs> decisions. I'm more about like you know, what's good for the content. Right. Uh, uh, it was in print. Uh, there's so much that you can't showcase effectively. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it, particularly in the last few years when you've begun talking about things like podcasts more and, and all these other mediums are like what we're doing now. Uh, and then you're writing about it on a printed page. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's good. It was never bad. I'm not saying it was ever a bad magazine. Of course it wasn't, right. but it's like, it was it, beautifully it, published. I mean, it was super high quality. That was, it was, it was a beautiful print magazine. I like you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it, 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 with it, there's so much more we could do. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it was a good time to sort of uh, reevaluate what it should be for the next few years. Uh, what's the next stage or volume or era of CCO to be like? And so there was a lot of uh, planning at the end of last year about what that would look like. Because one of the things we from the outset all agreed that it shouldn't do if we're just like saying okay we're gonna take our magazine and go digital and we know that's been a common story with a lot of print magazines right. who eventually decided to shut the doors and go digital instead and all what they've effectively done is just like whack the content online and it's like you're just another blog now you know yeah. and, and so we really didn't want to do that um, not for any other reason than CMI's right. already got a blog. You know, it's like we'd be cannibalizing ourselves if yeah. we just did the same thing over here as is already over on the uh, over there, uh, and trying to link between them somehow make that work as an experience because the experience of a blog versus the experience of a magazine is, of course, very very different. Mm -hmm. you know, a blog is very much a, a wham bam, thank you, ma'am. You know, you you follow the link, you go through, you read, you click back sure and you go on to the next thing. Particularly yeah. when you're like often driven by social and all the rest of it. The magazine is something that's particularly in print was something that 
you might have sat on your bedside table and say you are literally dipping in and out of the same batch of content until either you're done or whatever's interesting in it you've completed. Um, so uh, we wanted to retain that um, stickiness mm -hmm. of the magazine versus the um, more uh, ephemeral nature of a blog, uh, as well as showcase and using more rich media and be able to uh, do all these other uh, digital assets as well. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of thought and planning into what, how that will work and a few experiments, some didn't work and some did work. And, 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 and now we're about two weeks before it goes live. When this recording goes out, it should be live. Uh, <laughs> so we're at that really interesting stage now where you're probably able to see it now. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, everything I've just said, everyone listening to this agrees with. <laughs> I know I love, you know, and you know, I, I love that that whole perspective that you had about how you really didn't want it to be just another website collection of curated articles and content. And also you didn't want to cannibalize CMI's blog and content because they also are producing content separately. You wanted yep. to retain the CCO entity and the feel and the look. So how did you ultimately get everybody on the same page? If you don't mind me asking about not even what the end result was, but how did you actually come to this conclusion internally, editorially? Like what kind of conversations happened? Was there any workshopping? Was it just a lot of sort of researching? How did that work? It began uh, with a lot of meetings of just, uh, in the beginning, everyone saying how they interpreted the move uh, and then trying to reach consensus uh, because you can you can put out a uh, a goal of okay we're going to take the magazine and go digital next year right uh, and and everyone can interpret that very very differently. Some people yes. might go oh okay it'll be simpler to do it this way and it ends up being a blog. Some people might go well I want to do this now and so you do need to have a uh, it's not about um, arguing with each other it's it's literally about like going well what does that mean. Yes. Uh, and discussing what those nuances are and discussing, well, if we do this, do we lose something over here? And how do we counter that? You know, so for every, we, we, if someone was to raise an idea and say, well, we can do this. Um, for example, when we're looking at um, existing templates that we could use, for example, that would help us to do it uh, more efficiently based on what the technology we already had available to ourselves. Because we also didn't want to, um, CMI obviously uses a lot of various tools already to publish what it already does. Um, we didn't want to have to go out and reinvent the wheel either. So if we've already right. got these things, try and find a way of using the same ones. Um, so there was a bit of that in compromise. Um, but always like saying, well, if we do do that, do we lose something over there? And what do we then do instead of or something? We want, I, uh, one of the things that I was very keen to ensure that subscribers didn't see any or didn't get any sense of um, losing something in the change. If anything, that they were gaining something in the change. Nice. Um, so it, it, some people love print. I'm, I'm old, so I adore print <laughs> still, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. I tried to do the ebook thing. It mm -hmm. didn't fake. 
So I still, you know, have bookcases all around the house and I still buy the print version of the magazine, even though I know a digital one is available. Right. Just because of that tactile nature. So I'm aware that if this was happening to me, for example, that um, I might feel like, oh, this is now somehow lesser than because I'm losing that experience. Right. So that needs to be compensated. That needs to be, well, yeah, sure, that's, it's, it's different, but it's better because of this, this, and this reason. So there was a lot of discussion about, well, how do we make that better? How do we value add to that? What do we have already that we can um, use to create new value to, to replace that, such as, for example, um, the amount of audio that would naturally be captured in the creation of an issue through yeah. performing interviews and so on, well, usually that would be as far as it would go. It would go to the transcriber and then the audio would sit on someone's hard drive until the end of time. Um, that we decided, well, we've got all of that rich media there as well, that with a bit of editing, depending on who did the interviewing and how they performed it at the time, but with a bit of editing and a bit of polish, you can use that as embedded media, as rich media. We can have, you know, downloadable audio or podcasts or whatever. So we started trying to look for those kinds of opportunities with what we already had to say, well, now this gives us the opportunity to do this and not just think in that linear, well, we've always done articles that were formatted this way in the magazine and therefore we just carry the same type right. of content across. It was like, we need to rethink the content completely. Nice. I love that. No, thank you so much for walking through the process. And because there are a lot of tough conversations that have to happen in order, you know, to make something like this transition to the online world. But like you said, without making people feel like they're missing anything or make people feel like you're just sort of slapping print content online. So, um, Jonathan, we are going to take a quick break, but I want to talk a little bit more about CCO Magazine and then also get into some nitty gritty writing, editing topics with you because we can do that because we are um, both massive um, content nerds. I think we can both agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so everybody stay with us. We are going to take a quick break and hear from a sponsor. And then we will re be right back with Jonathan. Hi, friends. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, reminding you that this show, the Connect Show podcast, is brought to you by Uberflip, the number one content experience platform. Do you ever wonder how content experience affects your marketing results? Well, you can find out in the first ever content experience report, where Uberflip uncovers eight data science-backed insights to boost your content engagement and your conversions. It's a killer report, and you do not want to miss it. Get your free copy right now at uberflip.com slash connex show report. That's uberflip.com slash connex show report. And the show is also brought to you by our team at Convince and Convert Consulting. If you've got a terrific content marketing program, but you want to take it to the very next level, we can help. Convince and Convert works with the world's most iconic brands to increase the effectiveness of their content marketing, social media marketing, digital marketing, and word of mouth marketing. Find us at Convince and Convert. Hey, everybody, we are here with Jonathan, and we were just chatting about some of the big updates with CCO Magazine. So Jonathan, I have one more question for you around the magazine, because you have been with the magazine writing for it since the beginning. Now, obviously, you're the editor of CCO Magazine. So you have seen all of the trends, all of the topics of conversation come through. You've seen, um, you know, I guess you've been at the forefront of all of these great conversations around content. 
what is something that people aren't talking about today, but they really should be? To be, to be, oh, not to throw a curveball at you. Yeah, yeah. To, be, to be sort of honest, it, I feel like it may even be the same things that should have been discussed, but words back then. Ooh. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the topics that uh, they're, they're beginning to happen now, but the topics that I find don't get enough air still are the same ones that, you know, when I first started this, like 2007, um, in this industry were the same ones I was still battling against then, which is like the algorithm is not everything. There still needs to be room for creativity. There still needs yes. to be room for the art, not just the science. Um, and, and I think that is still brushed off a lot. Um, I come across, you know, working with various clients and I, I, I still have those conversations about, okay, um, planning an editorial calendar and at the beginning of the editorial calendar they just set a whole load basically seo formulas over everything and it's like well no no no, that's not where you start that's where you end with to take the great content that you produced and then find out how to make it more discoverable don't start with that because we can hit those metrics really easily but the content's just going to be rubbish you know it, right. it's um i think there's still a lot of um that kind of trying to find the silver bullets in content or trying to find those formulas and then just applying that and somehow thinking that this is how you create quality content and, and overlooking the nuances of uh, content production um, that come with a, someone knowing how to write to a higher standard, for example, or someone having um, more uh, original ideas and original ideas because they're original often don't have the same keyword value as something that's already been pushed a million times so it's like you know okay that, 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 what's the keyword headline for that I don't know because it's an original idea uh, there needs to be uh, I'm not saying you throw all that stuff out um, right. there needs no, to no, be no more understanding of how those two things should work together and the formulaic side of um, the discussion needs to shouldn't keep uh, and I still think it this still happens a lot shouldn't be shutting out right. those other conversations I you know it's funny is coming from a writer background um, and a brand copywriting background specifically I struggle with that all the time too where it's so hard to get people to see that balance where yes, machines and algorithms are finding our content, but it's people that are reading it. And at the end of the day, if people don't find it valuable, if they don't stick around, if they don't want it, algorithms pick that up. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's like we have to actually kind of write, you know, like you said, have room for the art, have room for the people in there, have room for the storytelling. Because if people don't want that content at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how findable it is. They're just going to ditch it and then it doesn't even matter and it's all for naught. Absolutely. Because um, one of my big soapboxes um, has been, and I have many soapboxes, but one of, one of my <laughs> biggest same. ones is the whole point of content marketing is not getting people to read your content. You're, the whole point of content marketing is getting them to do something as a result of reading your content mm. or consuming your content. It's like, if, if you're focusing on just getting them to read your content, then you're measuring clicks, you're measuring engagement right. metrics and that kind of stuff. But you want them to have read to the end of your ebook or your white paper or watch to the end of the video. And as a result of what you've said and how persuasive you've been, go, 
I need to do this next. Even if it's, I need to go and read that next right. piece of content or, we, or I need to go and research that product or I need to go and do this in my life to be, a, you've, you're supposed to be, uh, content marketing at, at one level is about the transmission of idea. Right. Uh, you're trying to um, get across something into someone else's head to change their attitude towards something or uh, motivate them to do something uh, because that's what marketers do. And I think for a lot of content, there's still this perception that um, it's, it's all about the clicks. We know we've driven the traffic and somehow it'll find its way the rest of the way. It's like, yeah, you've got no way of knowing whether they read past the first paragraph before going click. I, this is boring me. Um, and we've all seen content like that. So yes. I think, yeah, it, it's just understanding what that content is there to achieve um, yeah. and measuring that. Which is interesting too, because a lot of people would kind of lump that more into performance marketing, but I have a tendency to always fall back on user experience and content strategy and content experience. Because to me, if you're providing this amazing user experience and you're providing what they need and you're providing things that help them, you know, it's, it really is about the user and the, the experience. And I think that's oftentimes forgotten about with the content, going back to our conversation about creating for users and not algorithms. Absolutely. Um, and from the user's perspective, they're not going in going, oh, this is a piece of performance marketing. This is a piece of content marketing. <laughs> right. This is a piece of, you know, social media oh, marketing. Look at how great their channel uh, strategy is. Uh, right. They, they don't care. As right. far as they're concerned, it's the same conversation. If it's all from coming from the same place, from the same brand or whatever, it's the same conversation. And it should, to them, feel joined up. It should be achieving the same journey. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think we sometimes, while it's important at, at one level to have that depth of understanding to know what these different terms and purposes and, and ways that we use content, sure. the, the strategic stuff behind it, uh, we we shouldn't allow uh, we shouldn't let that get in the way of the customer's view. And, and that's something that constantly comes up. Right. Um, it's like, no, 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 this, this content is supposed to work this way. But like, yeah, but from the, the customer doesn't care or the right. reader doesn't care. They're just trying to find the answer to this question that they've searched for. Or they're trying to find the, uh, a piece of information. And then from that, hopefully do the next thing. Does it achieve that? That's your number one goal. I think it's interesting too. And you know, it's funny, we've had some similar conversations before. Um, Randy and I have talked about this where it's kind of funny that when marketers go to market things, they forget what it's ever been like to be a customer. Yes. Like we've like never once been a consumer or a customer of anything. And we just think about like, okay, business goals, business goals, clicks, clicks, but we don't ever think about like, maybe I just need that piece of information and I don't have to do anything else, but I might come back and then do something else. Like they, they just, we forget what it's ever like to be a, a human. That's and right. I, I uh, love myself yeah. in there too. Uh, we're all guilty yeah. of it. And it's something that we just have to uh, be self-aware of. Um, it, it's the same being a writer, for example. Um, uh, writers are often the, the, the worst people to edit their own content. Yes. I think marketers, <laughs> marketers are the worst people to assess Market. their own, you know, cause, because you need to take that step back and, and look at what you're doing and go, yeah, but if I was the consumer, would I respond the way that you're hoping I would? Yes. Uh, and, and 
this is the hard bit, be honest with ourselves about that answer because we want it to succeed. And so we're going, I think I would, but that's you going in with the pre-knowledge of you want that to happen. Right. Um, it, it's like, you know, come on, be honest. Would you really subscribe to this uh, content hub that is basically wall-to-wall -wall advertising in another form? Or right. would you, you know, which is, again, more common than it should be. Uh, or would you um, f try to follow your own way through the the internet to find the solutions to the problems or inspiration what it is your personal goal is um in a kind of yeah more autonomous way and i think that's something that we keep forgetting i agree and also you not to take a hard shift in topics but you actually brought up something that i wanted to touch on as well which is um so you are both a writer and an editor Mm -hmm. And you are obviously editor of CCO Magazine today. You've also been a writer for them and continue to write for them. A lot of people don't quite understand the difference between writer and editor. And do you still find, at least that's my perception, do you still find that that's really true? That people kind of lump them into one category and they're like, oh, writer, editor, proofreader also included in there? Um, yes, and I think... Um basically the fall of civilization stems from this i have opinions um <laughs> as the tarot cards have revealed this will be the fall of civilization. not getting yes I, I i think at the core of that question which i i agree with i think people do underestimate the differences between those um roles mm -hmm. um is that the trivialization of writing as a as an activity in the first place is yes. still that um, idea that um, I have a high school education, I can write, therefore I can write a white paper. Uh, and we've all encountered that kind of content uh, where it's it, I, the professional writers amongst us and the copywriters, the content writers, whoever uh, will read it and go, you can write small w but can you write big w and mm. and it's there, there is a big difference between the two uh editing is the same thing Edit, editing is that um overarching view not just of that single piece of content but all the content within the ecosystem is going to exist with whether it's the entire newspaper or the entire magazine or the entire content hub and making sure that uh everything works together and is consistent and achieves you know a common purpose whatever that may be um but also is that um like we were just talking about you know as a marketer being able to step back and review what you're doing and saying is that going to work the editor is doing that for the writer um which is why i love working with a good editor uh, mm -hmm. because they will always make my writing better yes um they provide that sanity check uh, they will not let you get away with that thing in paragraph three that you sort of knew was not really going to work, but you <laughs> right. are hoping it was going to be good enough. Right. Uh, they're the ones who will come back and say, do you have a source for that claim? Yes. Uh, and you go, oh, maybe I ought to. Um, so that kind of um, interrogation of your content yeah. to lift it to the next level, um, I cannot um uh, say enough basically yeah. uh, this, and proofreading is something else again 
Yeah, totally. And and this is actually something that um, that I've talked about in talks before about how, you know, we have this tendency, especially within anything to do with writing and editing, we create these like superhuman writers and, you know, or these superhuman positions where it's like, you know, we want them to write and then also edit and then also proofread. But, you know, a good editor, like you mentioned, should be able to very clearly hold a mirror up to the writer and say, this is the story that you're telling. Here's how it mm -hmm. could be better. Or is this the story you really want to tell versus a proofreader is going to line edit things and look for yes. things that would a writer would not catch because they are reading it in their own head, in their own voice and how those three are so drastically different as you talked about. And, and also how, how essential they are to good storytelling as even CCO has. Oh, uh, it is. And I think a lot of people underestimate just how important the proofreading role is into that. Yes. A lot, it, it, on one level, it is, okay, they're catching the typos and they're making sure the use of the Oxford comma is consistent or not. Or, uh, uh, but I, I'm anti-Oxford comma. <gasps> I it. am too. Oh my goodness. I, I high five the screen. Um, I'm sure people uh, just like deleted the recording right now. They're like, <laughs> delete the podcast. Well, they'll be happy to know that CCO is pro Oxford comma. So I've had to swallow <laughs> something there. Um, so there, there is uh, on that level that they're making sure that the, uh, the, the letters on the page function the way they're supposed to, the grammar's correct and they catch things like sourcing and all the rest of it. But on another level, they ensure that the content doesn't trip up the reader, by right. which I mean the experience of reading content. Um, the moment you notice a mistake or the moment you have to read a sentence twice because you weren't clear on the meaning the first time because it rambled on for five lines and had three parentheses in it, um, the, is the moment you've been dragged out of the writing and you um, are no longer thinking about what the writing is talking about. You're link, thinking about how the words work on the page. The proofreader is the person who can smooth out a lot of those bumps so to keep you focused on the writing, uh, what the writer is saying and not the writer is putting on the page. Yes. Yeah, it's those three positions in general are in how they work together and how they connect are so undervalued and unappreciated. Um, and I, yeah, it's, I'm, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, but I agree. And I, I hope everybody else is on board as well. So um, Jonathan, I think I, it's often seen as a, as an additional expense though, which is why I yes. think it's, it's often it's like, can we get this in one person? And even if a person does have all three skill sets, um, you're usually blind to your own content, which is why you need to have yep. that step back mirror. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's a cost saving. I think it's um, a false economy. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And some, yeah, some, some, you know, especially those who are just starting out some small businesses, it does seem like a very added expense, but it is a very worthwhile investment. Mm. Um, Jonathan, I could seriously talk to you about content all day long. Um, we are coming to a close here on our episode, but I would love, please tell everybody one, where they can follow you because you are on all of the social media. And then two, um, when the launch, um, or where they should go check out the new CCO magazine. 
Um, the new CCO will be launching in the beginning of April. Um, I, I don't want to put a firm date on it because, you know, the, that the <laughs> moment fair. I That's say fair. that, the, then I have jinxed the digital team and it won't launch on time. Uh, but there will be an email going out from CMI to say, it's now here, click through, go and have a look. So if you want to be there on day one, uh, to, to, to catch the mistakes that made it through our quality control, then um, uh, sign up on the Content Marketing Institute website. There is a link there for CCO. Nice. As for my social media, I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, I'm also most grumpy on Twitter, so take it that what you will. Uh, at Kimota, K-I-M-O-T-A. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook under my name, of course. Um, pretty easy to find um and those are pretty much where you'll find me i have yet to really succumb to instagram nice um interesting well everybody all right go follow jonathan uh, because he is chock full of insights and amazingness and then go check out the new cco magazine online um everybody stick around with us for a little bit more though because we've been able to talk to jonathan about the professional side of him and his career and now we're going to talk a little bit about the personal side and get into some real word nerd stuff so stick around for just a few more minutes and we will be right back Hey everyone, I wanted to take just a few seconds today to talk to you about Emma. Emma is an email marketing platform that helps you connect with your audience and grow lasting relationships. They're awesome. They offer really intuitive tools to build and automate emails with powerful segmentation and reporting too. And the big difference is they're focused on you. Between their award-winning support and their pro services team, they make sure every customer has success with their email marketing. Seriously, they are amazing. You can learn more and request a demo today at myemma.com slash J is awesome. Again, that's myemma.com slash J is awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. All right. So we're here with Jonathan. As we mentioned, we got to know the professional side of him. Now we're going to get to know the personal side. So Jonathan, of course, being with our writing backgrounds, I have to ask you some literary questions because I so very rarely get to have these conversations with a fellow writer and editor. Um, so just a couple of questions. First and foremost, what was the very first book that absolutely made the biggest impression on you? Like, so there's books that you obviously have to read in school and, you know, there are books that you just kind of pick up and you're like, Hey, that was great. But what was the book that sort of just like blew your mind or really loved? Wow. That's a big question. Cause it's, uh, it's um, there's a number of ways in which books will have um, impacted me or changed my life. I think the book I'm going to mention is going to be funny in the sense that it's the book that started me off um, thinking I wanted to be a writer, started me Ooh. off with my love of books in the first place, which was the first proper book I ever read. Um, so um, I was, as a boy, and always have been, and still am a massive Doctor Who nerd. Uh, and so the first time I discovered that they had novelizations of the stories, uh, we're way pre-video here, so it's like that was the only way to experience stories you'd never seen. Yeah, that blew my mind, and I remember reading the first one. Uh, I, I borrowed money from my brother, his pocket money, to be able to buy it for fifteen p in a newsagent, and that was the first book I read end to end 
that wasn't a comic, you know, at that yeah. age. I was about six, you know. Uh, and that was when I realised um, I fell in love with books. I fell in love with Doctor Who books particularly because I just demolished them from then on. I was like, they, they were my crack cocaine. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and the writer of uh, those books then, um, well, a lot of them, was a guy called Terence Dix in the UK who has written, actually, I interviewed him um three years ago in australia oh, he came to australia nice. to an event and, and it was he'd long been on my bucket list for, for this reason so it's like if if i ever want to interview someone he's on the list and i interviewed him twice on stage on the same weekend and um trying not to nerd out next to him but right he has actually written more books than anyone has ever actually been able to count because he's oh. written not only uh, uh, huge, hundreds of uh, books in the Doctor Who range, but all his other ranges and all the rest of it as well. No one has an exact number for how many books he's written. Um, he has really, really simple, unflashy prose. It's very... You're not going to win literary awards with this stuff. That was not the point. The point right. was he got me into reading in the first place. Uh, and so that was the book that I, I say has the biggest impact on me. The first one I had read was uh, Revenge of the Cybermen. Nice. Um, not to pivot real quick, but there is something to be said for very beautifully written, straightforward prose, though, and not having to read every sentence that feels like you're walking through tar because it's yes. so heavy and thick with descriptors and and you know uh, just crazy narrative I, I i agree i'm i'm a big fan of um some straightforward um prose um okay so would he also then be your favorite author because that would be the next question oh um i i'd say he's the author author who had a massive impact on my life because because of him i wanted to be a writer from that age um i wouldn't say he's my favorite author because there are other authors of course i've discovered since um george orwell Wow. Um, okay. I, um, uh, I am a massive fan of Animal Farm, a massive fan of Nigel. Yeah. His journalism and his, his articles are stunning. Um, he also has an extremely clear and simple and to the point writing style. And his articles on the art of writing are well worth every content marketer reading. Nice. All right. So good. All right. Last question here. So good one to add to your list, everybody. Re uh, required reading. Um, okay. So last question here. What is a book that everybody loves and you just couldn't get into? <laughs> uh, oh, crikey. I've got to think about that one. Um, I, I don't normally think in terms of hating books, you see. So this is hard. Not hate. We didn't use hate. Just maybe something that you're like, oh, I just it really, I struggled to get into it. I'm sure there are or some genre? on my shelf. Yeah. Or maybe a but, genre. Um, well, there's many genres I have never even picked up. You won't find me with a Mills and Boone. Um, but um, books I couldn't get into. That's hard. That, that's, um, that's a stumper. It is. I think what I'm going to say is I went through a period of like trying to re uh, pick up on all the classics. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so I've got a lot of the Penguin classics on the shelf and I went through a stage a few years ago. I need to read the books I haven't read yet. So I read Frankenstein and so on. Yeah. And Jane Austen left me cold. Oh, I cannot... Okay. I think it may be to do with they inflicted Mansfield Park on me at school and I couldn't finish it. Um, I found her pro style... I know a lot of people love her pro style. Yes. I found it annoying. And I think that's just... <laughs> 
You know what, as writers, we can still appreciate the effort and the beauty of the work that they created, even if we're not massive fans of it. So I, I agree. Um, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. Sincerely, this was a delight um, and I got to nerd out. So thank you so much for indulging all of my writing discussions. Um, everybody. Well, thank you for indulging my long and rambling answers too. <laughs> no, they were fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in once again. Um, go ahead and do us a favor. When you listen to this, wherever you listen to it, please leave us a review, leave us some feedback. Let us know what other topics you'd like to hear from. Until next time, this is Anna Harak from Convince and Convert, and I will be joined next time with Randy Frisch from Uberflip. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.